Okay, cool. All right. Greetings, my friends. Welcome to Hardwater Radio. This is Jason Archer. We're recording under the umbrella of Hardwater One here in the Valley of the Sun. And today we continue the mission to arm humans with the tools to crush mediocrity, create mastery, and live in total wellness with my next guest, the Vagina Doc herself, live and in person, Jocelyn Connolly. How you doing, girl? Hi, Jason. I am I'm doing I'm doing. I'm surviving. I appreciate that I'd, answer. I'd be lying if I said I was doing good, but I'm not doing bad. No, I hear you. So yeah, so we were talking a little bit about this off mic. So you recently jumped into the entrepreneurial realm and uh, you were telling me you're you're having a little bit of a struggle with the transition. Yeah. So this is my third week completely on my own. And I mean, the amount of transition that has happened along with just jumping off a cliff into this entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneur, the first, first of all, saying entrepreneur is such a challenge for me. <laughs> so going into business with, on my, with, by myself has accompanied a big move. I mean, I've been living on my own for the past few years. And then I decided that in order to do this, I needed to cut costs. So I now have a roommate room. Louie has a roommate and I could tell he is struggling with that transition as well. But I think that is almost the hardest part is the, the big shift in living environment because, you know, you, you live your life and then you go home and home is your safe space. It's your space. It's what you, where you go to, uh, wind down. And I feel like I'm struggling with that right now. Mm-hmm. You feel and like, then you feel like your space is not yours anymore. Kind of a thing. Exactly. It's yeah. not mine. Yes. And then, uh, going from a very social environment from where I used to work to being by myself a lot, a lot of, a large portion of the day has been hard. I feel very isolated. And then there's of course, uh, the, the draining bank account. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The draining bank account. Every, every person who's ever started a business knows very well the draining bank account. Yeah. So, so, Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so, you know, looking at this, you know, jumping into this thing, you're a few weeks in, you know, and you're taking these difficulties head on, obviously the only way you can, you know, and, and learning from them, obviously. But I mean, what did you, what prompted you to sort of, you know, jump down this path in the first place? And, you know, do you feel like it was what you thought it would be or is it completely different? So two parts of jumping down this path. I'll talk about my story in a minute. And then, but first I want to talk about the decision to actually just go for it. So when treating people with pelvic health problems or really any, any issue with the body with respect to the physical rehab realm, there's the healthcare system that we currently live in allow us to only address one piece of it. And that's really like around symptoms and not really the cause. So I had been struggling the past few years. I'm like, I don't feel like I am, I'm not fulfilling my purpose by just addressing people's symptoms. They're just going to keep coming back. Is this a, it's another hoax that the system has set us up to keep 
people in the system essentially. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I tried to get around that by developing programs within my company. And I was like, well, what do you think about me doing postpartum programs or wellness programs that they would be cash pay? Or what do you think about me starting a podcast? Or I tried to build what I'm currently building now with my company. And there was just a lot of red tape. Right. And it was, and then I was like, okay, I'm not trying. I did, you know, when you're out just for yourself and you're just like, I just want to make money. It's, it's, I, I, that is how it kind of was initially whenever I was in a working professional, like I'm just making money. I, what can I do to increase my salary or increase my earning potential? Mm -hmm. But I very quickly shifted as like, okay, how can I serve this company to help them? I can give them all these skills that I have that go beyond just patient care. And when they didn't want me to provide those skills to serve my population the way I knew that they needed to be served, I knew that was the time that I had to leave. I see. I see. So So it it wasn't even about money at that point. It was like, okay, I'm trying to better my patients through bettering the, my role in the company. And I can't do that. So that's, that's time. It's time for me to move on. Yeah. And so when you look at that now, like how much of that is, you know, the company versus how much of that is just the red tape that the company is subject to? It's not the, it's definitely not the company. The company is just, it's just one, uh, it's the healthcare system that we live in. There, mm-hmm. So yes, it's the, it's the red tape that corporate healthcare innately creates. And then I think there is also an issue with branding. I didn't work for a women's health or a pelvic health company right. for them to invest in something like that. So it totally makes sense. They, I I appreciate everything that I have gotten through that experience. And I appreciate them not necessarily, they didn't overtly tell me no, they just didn't, they just never, they didn't provide support to build those things. So um, it was helpful to guide me in the direction that I know that I want to go now. So talk to me a little bit about the the first part of that, uh, that you were at the, at the top of the podcast, you were talking about you were only allowed to treat symptoms. So, you know, as a, as a lay person on the outside of the medical industry looking in, what does that actually look like in practice? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if I come to you and I have a specific issue and you know, what it sounds like is that, you know, that there might be a methodology that I could employ elsewhere or outside of the practice to, you know, correct myself long-term versus maybe seeing you treating the symptoms and making them kind of feel better in the moment. And then, you know, okay, it's off to the next visit next week or whatever the case may be. Uh, What does that look like in practice for you? Is that kind of close to it? Um, and I should have rephrased that, but that it's not like what I was saying was incorrect. It was just kind of confusing, but to put it most simply, most simply for the listener to, to understand your insurance company doesn't care if you can't participate in CrossFit. All your insurance company cares about is if you can dress yourself, feed yourself, walk, get to work and take care of the home. Hmm. So when we, once we get things calmed down, that you're not limited in your sleeping, meal prep, 
home care, job duties, if we go to the route and say overhead reaching for CrossFit or to participate in preferred exercise program, they say that's not medically necessary. So uh, anything beyond the basic activities of daily living, which don't include any sexual function tasks, even those like sexual function and sexual intercourse is an activity of daily living. Uh, you, you receive denials by your insurance company or the company receives denials. So is it a situation where you're, you know, as a practitioner, you're seeing people and you, you want to prescribe them maybe movement, for example, you mentioned CrossFit, but yet yeah, you're not able to prescribe that in terms of having their insurance cover it. Is that what I'm hearing? Exactly. Yep. Mm. And in order to do, in order to get the insurance company to cover it, you have to spend just additional time that you don't have working the system and wording things so that insurance companies interpret it in a way that you're not saying, oh, it's for CrossFit. <laughs> So it's just like, it takes so much effort on the clinicians end and we're already overworked in the insurance world that it's just, it doesn't happen. We can't. It's like we would be documenting on our unpaid time outside of work until for hours. I see. So you're basically playing a game of like words, uh, you know, when you're documenting, you know, how you're treating people so that you can actually help them. Right. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Mm, and then the battle, Jason, is insurance companies don't pay us what they don't pay us like anything. So the companies, we in order to survive, you have to see more people. So therapists are seeing two to four people within us in an hour's time. Mm-hmm. So how good is the quality care there? Right. Not good. And then you see a tech who doesn't even have to have a college education for the majority of the session, which is what you're paying your insurance company. And then also the, the PT company that you're going to, let's say you're paying your, your premium is 150 to $300 a month. And then your co-insurance at PT is 20%. So let's say the visit costs, they bill out $250 Twenty percent of that is a that's a chunk of change, and that is to work with a tech for seventy five percent of the visit. So, when you say working with a tech, like what what type of role does that look like? What is a tech specifically? A tech just basically brings people through exercises. Okay. They don't have any. I mean, some may have more knowledge than others, but the they're not doctoral trained physical therapist. Okay. So they're basically following whatever's been prescribed, helping the patient get through those movements kind of a thing. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I got you. I got you. So when you're in that environment and you're seeing all this, you know, transpire, obviously I'm sure you ran into, you know, many objections from people who you probably needed to see more often, or you needed to have more time with, you know, how did you reconcile that as a practitioner? Is that really one of the main reasons that you decided to just you know, branch out on your own and, and take that big risk of, of doing it yourself? Or, you know, was there something else, you know, in that scenario or inside the context of that company or that, that system 
that was just driving you crazy? The good. So I was pretty, I, I put this in quotes, lucky because I didn't work for a company that made me see four patients an hour mm-hmm. and I didn't, we didn't have texts, which was nice. However, we would see two people an hour at the same time. And so if someone needed a lot of attention, it was hard to provide that kind of care. Two people an hour so, at the same time. What is that? You mean you have two people coming in at the same time on the same hour and you're going back and forth between the two? Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, I had such a hard time giving, I mean, I was able to give each each person one-on-one attention, but that was also under the role of, okay, if I have to communicate with the, their healthcare providers, I, if I have to prepare the room and clean it and t- and then prepare it for the next person. Uh, when people call me, all of that would come into play. And then if someone wanted me to write a note to their doctor, then I mean, I had to do all that within an hour and get my notes done. So I didn't have to, uh, I didn't have to stay up till 10, 11 at night documenting when I got home at seven 30 mm-hmm. and then come into work an hour early so that I didn't have to do, I didn't, wasn't stressed about my notes all day. Right. So I think that, that did bother me, but it also made me realize, okay, I'm going to get so efficient and know what the most important things are so that if I leave here, I can go anywhere and, ex- and do really well. I got you. And so I I looked at it as a, as a challenge, but I knew that I would never like I would I would never last. Mm-hmm. I cared too much about like the whole process of health within people to just be okay with that. Right, right. So it sounds like you saw it as just not really helping, but more just keeping people in the system is, is what is that's what I'm hearing from you right now. Yeah. I mean, that's one way to look at it for sure. Interesting. Interesting. So what's the answer to that though? Like how do we, what, what would be the ideal system in the practitioner's world where, you know, you're actually able to, to, you know, devote the time that you need to the person, have the person get the correct outcomes, have the person, you know, prescribe the right thing, you know, in a, in a cost efficient and, you know, in a results manifesting way? That's the million dollar question. I don't have an answer to that other than uh, that's why I went cash pay and took out the insurance company and am able to provide the whole process uh, in a way that the person can both afford, but also commit to, Mm -hmm. to not only treat the the what they're currently going through, but to make them to set them up so that they're not repeat offenders or repeat people in the healthcare system that just get passed along Mm -hmm. and that just come, keep coming back for the same issue. I see. I see. Yeah. So one of these things that always makes me cringe a little bit is when people put their health behind, you know, something like, like insurance, you know, like, well, I'm, I'm not going to go see a doctor because I don't have insurance or I'm not going to, you know, take care of this because I don't have insurance. And it seems like insurance has become this catch all for anything that ails you when there's no way that that can be a, a viable system over time. Right. Because at the end of the day, the insurance company is only a, 
is only as good as its profits, right? And people are, if, if, if every time you have some minor emergency, you have to file an insurance claim to go get yourself taken care of, it seems like you're coming from the wrong way around. Like your health should be prioritized, right? And, you know, rather than spending $200 a weekend, you know, out drinking or having food or, you know, you know, out on some crazy experience, you might want to just settle money aside so that you can take care of yourself in a situation where, Hey, you know, maybe insurance isn't the most viable option. Are you seeing people withholding care because of the insurance sort of a thing or has that not been? Absolutely. I mean, I am guilty. I can't tell (laughs) you how many, how long I put off going for a well woman's exam because seeing a specialist was going to cost me, uh, $175 $175 around. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what I paid for a well woman's exam. Right. It just and, doesn't make sense because, you know, at the end of the day, if you're paying, I don't know, I mean, insurance is ridiculously expensive right now. You know, if you're paying three, four, five, six hundred bucks a month for insurance, I mean, wouldn't you be better off just setting that money aside for yourself? Yeah. Yeah. That makes me sick because I'm paying like three fifty a month. Mm-hmm. And, I never go to the, I never even go use, I don't need to go. (laughs) You don't use it. That's funny. It's, I mean, not funny, funny, but funny in a strange way. You know, I think people's priorities are strange when it comes to this sort of a thing. You know, I run into people like the dentist, for example, is, is a classic example. People are like, well, I don't have insurance. I can't go get a cleaning. I'm like, does that, I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like your body requires maintenance. Like you're not going to not maintain your body because you don't have insurance. Come on. That's like saying, well, I'm not yeah. going to get the oil changed in my car because I don't have insurance. <laughs> okay. <Yep>. Sure. <laughs> Perfectly logical right there. I understand like if you have, you know, a five, six, $10,000, $15,000 expense coming up and you're not covered, that makes a lot of sense. But you know, if you have a, a small expense, then you would think that having some money set aside for that would make a lot of sense. It's, it- you make an interesting point that we have this idea as U.S. citizens that if insurance doesn't cover it, then we don't want any part of it. Or if we can't, if if we don't, that's one way to look at it. And then uh, I'm not going to get care if insurance won't cover it or if I don't have insurance. It's it's sad, but. You know, I, I just can't worry about those people right now <laughs> at, at the state of where I am. But what is what is just something that I have to just get not get too aggravated about is the amount of people that they say they can't afford something, but they are always the ones that are out on the weekends mm-hmm. in Old Town Scottsdale. That's or exactly what I'm talking about. They are, they get, they are out to lunch every day. They go to happy hour at least once a week. (laughs) They get their nails done and their eyelashes done every two weeks. Get their hair did. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. You know, that just comes down to priorities in a lot of ways. And of course it's not fun to sit on your fun money, right? Like, I mean, at the end of the day, who doesn't want to go out and, you know, blow, blow some money and have a good time. But at the same time, like you're saying, you can't have your cake and eat it too, in terms of, you know, $1 getting spent in one place. 
can only be spent in one place. So what are you going to do with it? Are you going to, you know, prioritize properly or not? It's like, you know, when you see, it's funny, I was, I was, you said something about us citizens and, and, you know, my wife is Canadian and I've spent half, half the year in Canada for the last, oh, I don't know, six, eight years or whatever it's been. And, you know, I have people in Canada doing the same thing. You know, if they're not on a waiting list, it's because their current insurance doesn't cover this particular thing or they don't have dental or vision. So they can't go and and get the dental and vision taken care of. You know, I'm like, all right, well, your, your regular healthcare, your normal healthcare is paid for through these massive taxes that you guys have here. But you're telling me you're not going to go get your teeth cleaned or your, you're not going to get your eyes taken care of because you have to pay for it. (laughs) Really? Come on, man. Like, uh, What's important to you, you know, being able to see, you know, having teeth not rotting out of your head or, you know, (laughs) like making excuses about why you can't afford to take care of some basic, you know, bodily maintenance type stuff. It's strange. Yeah. Agreed. 100%. For sure, man. For sure. I I, I don't know. uh, I'm not sure where this sort of insurance thing is going. I don't, I don't think it's sustainable. I think people like yourself who you know, see the writing on the wall and, you know, you realize, uh, this isn't enough time with people. This isn't enough to, uh, you know, or this isn't enough one-on-one time with people, I should say, to get to know them and find out exactly what they need. And I can't prescribe without it going through their insurance and they don't want to pay me cash. So I can't prescribe it at all. You know, I mean, at some point that's breaking. And I think you're seeing, at least I've seen more and more like direct to consumer medicine. You know, you're starting to see, um, house calls again with physicians. You're starting to see like webinars and or web conferences with patients who, you know, have something that's easily diagnosed visually, you know, through zoom or something like that. Right. And then you have people like yourself who are just like fed up and, and you're, you know, branching out on your own and, and taking the risk. And we all appreciate that, especially as an entrepreneur, I can relate <laughs> to the draining bank accounts and the, you know, the anxiousness and, you know, the worry and all that fun stuff. But once you figure it out, it's going to be there in terms of reward for you, in terms of like difference you can make, it's going to be over and above what, what you could have done, I think, in your previous spot. I'm hoping, I do believe that it's, even though it's really hard right now, it's going to be so worth it. hmm So what's been the biggest challenge for you branching out on your own? Besides the, what the hell are you doing every morning (laughs) when I wake up and everyone's at work and I'm just not kind of, uh, the challenge is prioritizing my time. And the biggest thing for me right now is determining whether I should be going out and meeting people and letting them know what I'm doing, or if I should be producing the things that I want to be making available to the people that decide to get care from me. Mm. And what I mean by that is basically what people, when people come to see me for an issue. So since I specialize in pelvic floor dysfunction, common complaints are bladder leakage, painful intercourse, vaginal pressure because of pelvic organ prolapse, uh, if for men, erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation, pelvic pain. So when people come to me for those issues, every issue I have a methodology 
to deliver the results that people want and then exceed those results. Mm. And basically there's six, there's three main phases and then three phases within the phase. So three transformations within each phase with a total of 13 transformations. So I understand that people are not always ready to see me one-on-one in person and share their story because it's intimidating. It's, it's hard to tell your story to a complete stranger. So to basically get warm people up or I consider people scheduling a visit with me as a proposal. And so I want people to date me first before ever scheduling a visit, meaning they're reading my content online. That's free. They're do they're at my live virtual trainings on Mondays. They're purchasing my mini courses on my website. They are doing a virtual uh, plan that's either with a group live or it's in a group uh, in the community. We're doing like a 10 week postpartum back to fitness journey. Uh, I want people, I, so I'm talking about all these products, but they have to be made. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to decide like, do I allocate time to that where I'm not making any money or do I allocate my time to putting myself out there in the community and then getting leads that way? Right. It's that's, that's been the hardest part. I see. I see. So just deciding what direction to go in terms of when those things should fall. What have you, what have you been, or or have you come to a decision on which direction you're going to go? I mean, obviously you have to make money. Um, you know, you have to pay the bills and all that, that fun stuff that we all deal with, but you know, by the same token, like, have you come to a decision of what you would prefer to have happen? So I think what my next move is, I would like to go to just different gyms in the Valley and say, uh, and talk about offering a postpartum program uh, for their, not just new moms, but women that have never gotten the proper postpartum rehab that they needed. Uh, and just doing workshops to get the word out there first mm-hmm. and see what the people are wanting at the time and then deliver from there. So kind of a hybrid. And then in my spare time, just developing stuff, uh, as I go. You mean in terms of the programming, developing more programs? Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So have you had an opportunity to jump out there and get some live events in, uh, or some trainings in at at a few gyms yet? Uh, it's been slow and I didn't do, so I did a workshop recently, but it was not related to anything that I do. I was just helping another therapist Mm -hmm. at my gym. And then I am hosting, I'm going to be giving a workshop on October 18th. I think it's the 18th. Uh, It's the weekend of that, that it's that it's the end of October on um, postpartum and just women's health issues. And then I am helping, I've been checking out Chuck Walla CrossFit's postpartum back to fitness program and in the process of helping their manager on having a evening class. And that's in, that's in Phoenix somewhere. And I just love that, that whole model. And what they need is they need 
a PT that can be doing exams on the moms that are participants. So I would like to expand that to other gyms in the Valley because it's so needed. And the women that have been through Chuck Wallace have said that they've done other programs and they're so happy they found the Chuck Wallace program. So I'm really impressed by them and excited to work with them. Very cool. So talk us through that a little bit. What are, you know, you said this is very needed. What are the issues that the women are experiencing and, you know, how does the program address those issues? So here's the tricky part. A lot of women don't know that they have issues, but Mm -hmm. what they are experiencing is difficulty recruiting their or adapting to their new body in Mm -hmm. the postpartum, uh, in the fourth trimester, I should say. Right. They are having issues with back pain that doesn't go, that don't go away. They are not able to do the amount of activity for, besides for the obvious reasons, uh, especially early on, but they're not able to get back to where they were because of these lingering issues, like not being able to connect with their body like they used to, or the the pain in their hip or their back or the feeling that their vagina is falling out or the insecurity of that. They don't even know what it feels like to have their, that like their vagina is heavy, but it's just a nervous feeling. I would say, um, urinary leakage just during jumping or running painful intercourse that they don't know that that's associated with it all inability to hang on a bar. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, discomfort with running. The most obvious signs are issues with sex and issues with peeing during workouts. So why are those, why are those the most, you you mean obvious in terms of they can, they physically, you know, have a clue in those moments, you know, that that, that there's a problem. Even if they, yeah, even if they think it's normal, at least it's a objective sign Mm -hmm. versus the women that don't have those overt signs, but they have like little aches and pains, difficulty rolling in bed. And honestly, it's not even the pain during the exercise class. It's the issues with sleeping at night or getting up off of a, off of a chair, sitting at work, doing cleaning tasks at home. It's those tasks that they struggle with. And I mean, the one example is I had a, a girl from high school call me or not call me, reach out to me. It's been 10 years, Jason. And we were arch and arch nemesis in high school. We were on different high school basketball teams and I can stand her. And <laughs> she reached out to me because she started having issues with healing. And as we get to talking, I learned that she's seven weeks postpartum. And she has already been running because her OB released her at six weeks to do whatever she wanted. Mm. As a PT, I basically shit myself because that's like someone just post-op from ACL reconstruction running at six weeks. Like if I were that person's PT, I would, I would send them somewhere else and say, I'm not helping you because you're not listening. Right. Wow. Maybe I wouldn't, but I would, if I, if I told them they can't be running and they ran, I mean, that's just stupid. And that's the same way that I feel about 
postpartum return to fitness. Like if you're running at six weeks, then I'm, I'm not, and I, I've educated you, then I don't feel bad if you have issues. Right. Right. If you know, and you do it anyway, whose fault could it be? Right. Yeah. So on these postpartum issues that you're talking about, uh, the ones that, that women are not necessarily as, as keen to pick up on, you know, those ones, um, are, what are they attributing those differences in their lifestyle to? Is it just, are they just saying to themselves, Oh, well I had a kid, so this is how it is now. And they don't know things can yeah. be better. Yeah. That, that's what I would say. That's the most common thing that I hear is they're like, Oh, this, I, I was told that after I had kids, this is just how it is. Exactly. That's funny. It's so much of life in terms of you know, you see this a lot, of course, in, in your profession and you just laid it out for us right there with the postpartum stuff. Someone giving someone a story. All right, here's a story about how you're supposed to feel now. You know, um, the small town that I grew up in, you know, there's a story that you're supposed to live your life by, right? You get married young, you have kids, you get a corporate job, you ride that out, you get fat and then you die, right? <laughs> That's the story that, that everyone's given, right? You just, you're just given it. And it's amazing to me that at the, in this day and age, when there's so much mobility and so much opportunity that people just accept the word, you know, handed down to them without even giving an, a thought to something different. You know what I mean? I agree. It's crazy. And I think that, so for, if anyone's listening, that's not a mom, I hate to, I'm, I apologize. I just want to say, I'm sorry. A lot of the attention goes to moms, but I just want to tell you that I'm not a mom. And the reason why I got into this field is because of the shit that I went through. And it all goes back to small town living. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No offense. But uh, I grew up thinking that pain with sex was just the way it had to be. And that there was something, there was nothing I can do about it. There was something innately wrong with me. At least that's what I felt. Mm-hmm. So, and, uh, I was just going to say, why did you feel that way though? You know, like, why did you say, okay, well, the, it's just normal. I feel me. like when growing up, I was told, or at least the messages based on my religion that I was receiving was that sex is bad. And mm-hmm. if you're having sex before marriage, then shame on you. And it's good that it hurts. Really? Wow. <laughs> Not those words exactly, but basically. Right. That's what it amounted to. It sounds like. Yeah. And so when I was starting to have sex, I felt like I was able to talk to my mom about it. So it wasn't like she was feeding this information to me, but she didn't give me the green light and say, yes, have sex. It's okay. She definitely said no sex until marriage. You're going to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. So that's what I live. That's, that's what I just know. But In that kind of culture, we start to tell ourselves these stories about ourselves that, okay, this is just the way it has to be. And so much shit can happen. The amount of people that have told me that their partners or a previous partner has tried to kill them is just disgusting. The amount of women that have came across as if they are abused on a regular basis, whether it's verbally psychologically or physically is just so appalling. And the amount of sexual abuse that has happened to people as they grew up 
is even more sick. So, yeah, I mean, you hit a lot of, you know, hot buttons there. You mentioned the word kill, right? Obviously abuse is a big deal. I mean, these are things that I I think the average person wants to believe doesn't, you know, doesn't happen or doesn't exist, you know, in in the masses and the populations. And, And I'm sure it's a small percentage of people. But by the same token, that doesn't mean that it it doesn't warrant attention and it doesn't warrant, you know, a, a discussion. And so, you know, I, I, I have to, I don't want to think this, Jason, I apologize for cutting you off, but I think there's more people than not that have had some sort of sexual trauma in their life. Mm-hmm. And from my experience, my own personal experience, when there's trauma involved, it's harder to talk about. So the issues can build and build and whether you have a kid or not, you're there, there are associate correlations to musculoskeletal dysfunction Mm -hmm. from it. Yeah. So talk about that for a second. So you mentioned, uh, the word trauma. So define that for us and then let's talk about that a little bit. Trauma can be, and I'm going to speak on on sexual trauma, because that's what I work with mm-hmm. most closely. Right. It can be any unwelcome sexual experience. So that doesn't have to be rape. It can be you were in high school or middle school and one of the upper classmen uh, unwelcomely flashed you their, uh, their sc- balls and penis. Let <laughs> me just go into it. They just junk, yeah. They're junk. Yes. Yeah. That can be an unwelcome sexual experience. I mean, rape is an obvious one. Mm-hmm. Uh, any sort of sexual t- or unwelcome touching from another person. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think if you define it that way, then everyone who went through high school <laughs> Right? <laughs> would have experienced something. I mean, from ass grabbing to flashing to, you know, mooning people Gosh. through the window and, you know, all the rest of it. Right. I mean, that's just the amount of times that this, I have two people in mind, one in particular, the amount of times this guy has asked me to unzip his zipper <laughs> when I was in middle school and high school is just, it just makes me sick. That's, it's, it's funny. Right. But at the same time, like if, if you're not the type of person who understands that this person is an idiot, you know, I could see how that would be traumatic. So like in your world, do you consider that a trauma? Yeah. I mean, it just, it, it depends on the person's history. Like that could be a trigger for people. Right. Right. This is really interesting because I mean, it's so funny where the line is for different people so interesting, you know, to see, you know, like when I was growing up, um, you know, in the, in the late eighties or whatever, early nineties, you know, there was all kinds of this stuff going on. You had all of the, uh, you know, movies that influenced people that, you know, were all about, you know, teenage love and, you know, all these crazy sorts of things happening between the sexes and it was mirrored, you know, it was mirrored in high school as kids were acting out what they saw and they were basically, you know, acting out, you know, what their hormones were promoting them to do. And, uh, you know, so like when you say, you know, someone flashes you their, you know, their junk or whatever to me, like I, I see it through that lens of eighties movie funny. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think there's anything serious about that, but in today's world, I could see how that would be the worst thing that ever happened to someone. Yeah. And I want to say that because a lot of people feel shame about 
feeling shame about their trauma mm-hmm. that you just can't, you can't compare your story to someone else's. Sure. There is, I mean, for me, I've never been raped at, at least to my knowledge. <laughs> and I am just so grateful for that. But like, if that's something it's the people that at least that are going to be traumatized by that have probably dealt with something much worse, like their dad probably flashing them right. their junk. Exactly. So just respecting the, the whatever, however person responds to that. I mean, no one, unless it's, you know, that that is a welcomed fine joke. You shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, it's not something you would, you should, you know, walk up to someone on the street and just, you know, flash your junk at someone. Right. And, and, and hope for the best. Yeah. <laughs> that's not the, that's not the time to do it. I think that there, I think that in this conversation and, uh, you know, our friend, our mutual friend, Julius May, she and I were talking about, uh, um, like sexual advances and, and where the line is and this sort of a thing in a big discussion on Facebook the other day. And, you know, she had her opinion and I had my opinion and, and cool. Right. And same thing here. Like, I feel like there is a point at which you can get ridiculous with this stuff, you know, but there's also, oh, yeah. there's also a point at which you can, you know, not really be sensitive to like what you said. Like if, if, you know, someone flashes their high school junk at you and your dad is, you know, you know, banging you in a locked room in the, in, in the trailer park at home, right? Like that's going to have a completely different significance than, you know, for someone who's just having fun, you know, being a kid and being an adolescent. Right. And so you never know where that line is. Like you said, unless you have some sort of relationship with the person. Right. So I think that, you know, context matters, obviously. I think that you can't really just draw a hard line and say, Oh, someone flashed me their junk and therefore I'm traumatized. You know, it's like, right, well, right. Maybe, maybe you are, you know, and I, and I certainly don't want to tell you how to feel like your, your experience is valid, but by the same token, we can't go around locking up 14 year old kids because they flashed their junk at school. You know what I mean? So this brings up an interesting point though. So this is, this is, pro, this is part of the hard part about sharing your story with like, let's say, so for me, I got into this because I felt like I've developed my voice to advocate for people with pelvic floor dysfunction because I was finally able to accept my story. Mm-hmm. But I felt shame about my story for so long because I wasn't raped. Because you weren't raped. Right. At least to my knowledge. So, <laughs> I say- so okay. So obviously we're going to get into your story, but Give me just a little bit of color around that. What do you mean you felt shame because you were not raped? And I felt shame for feeling shame, ashamed about my story because it wasn't bad enough. If that makes oh, any sense. I see what you're saying. So people tend to keep quiet. For They're like, well, this happened to me, but it's not that big of a deal. So why even how it's not related to my problems kind of thing. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah, that makes a hundred percent sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, you're, you're like discounting your experience because you know, yeah. you didn't win the oppression Olympics in that particular story. Right? <laughs> yes. Which is ridiculous. So I, uh, you know, I didn't, I've m- have had issues probably a long time before this, but I, where, where my stories at least consciously starts was when I was living at my 
cousin's house and I had found out that he was recording me mm-hmm. in my bedroom. And at that time I had been growing up around your, your privates are your privates. That's the only thing that you have that is yours. That's just, that was my, my thought like around that. So I was always taught no sex until marriage, stay humble. That was the messaging that I received so that when I found out that I was on camera and doing whatever I was doing at, at that period of time, I felt like the only thing that I truly had that was private was taken away from me. Mm-hmm. So I went through two phases. I went through the, well, screw this. I'm going crazy phase and just lost all control. Kind of just slept around. Didn't know who didn't know, didn't care. Didn't get, did not respect my body or anything. And then my, so there's problems, pelvic floor problems where you essentially your muscles start contracting so that you can't you cannot receive penetration and that's basically what happened and uh it was basically what i think my body telling me stop doing this you don't want to do this and so at that time i went to went from this free sexual human to okay what's wrong with me and I, at that time, didn't really address the problem because I hadn't accepted or processed the whole thing. And this, at this period of time, my family wasn't speaking. So I felt shameful. I felt ashamed that not only who knows where my, where my body was on the internet, but I felt guilty and ashamed or guilty that my family no longer spoke. And so at that point, Um, I mean, I was still so young in college. I just, um, what did I do? I almost, I, I considered dropping out. And then my sister was like, no, let's, uh, run a marathon. (laughs) So I trained for a marathon and I just, I just, it wasn't, it, it wasn't, abnormal for me to pee during my runs. And then during the marathon, I just completely peed myself the entire time. Now I will say it was a huge training error because I trained like an asshole. I was in college and (laughs) I just jumped from a 12 mile run to a 17 mile run. And my, I just, my knee was like, nope. Uh, and didn't run for a month before the marathon. And yeah, so my pelvic floor was already super weak because it was so dang tight and then definitely not conditioned to, to withhold four plus hours of impact from running. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know at the time that those two issues were related. So then fast forward I'm in my final year of college and I am in sitting in the seat of one of the top researchers for a uh, syndrome in athletes that is so runners and endurance athletes are most often the ones that have this is they lose their period because they're not taking in enough energy 
for what they are burning. Right. So their body goes into survival mode. And so bone mass or the like bone remodeling mm-hmm. is shut off. And same thing with menstrual function. Yeah. I've, uh, I've had some experience with this actually. I mean, obviously not personally, but my college girlfriend was a collegiate swimmer and they did two a days every day of the week, except for, I think maybe Sunday, you know, she's up at four 30 in the morning in the pool at five for two hours. And then in the afternoon was dry land work. And, you know, so that's exactly what she experienced. And all of her roommates who were swimmers were experiencing the same thing. And that is such a problem, Jason, that sets your body up for repeated stress fractures, hormonal dysfunction, like moving forward in life issues with, oh man, systemically across the board. And I was sitting there in class and I'm like, holy shit, I would celebrate when I lost my period. Like a badge of and honor. Yeah. This is what our healthcare system is telling us. Put birth, put these girls on birth control. Let's band-aid the problem and not fix the problem. Like I want to go into women's health. So fast forward again, I'm sitting and I decide because I wanted to be as far away from my sick cousin as I could. I decided to go to WashU instead of Pitt. I got into both schools, which they're both great schools. Pitt, just if I would have went to Pitt, I probably would have dropped out. I'm so glad I didn't go there. But I go to WashU and it has to, happens to be one of the best schools for developing a strong foundation in movement assessment and then women's health. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting in class and I'm, I'm listening to legendary Tracy Spitznagel and she's like, we have this residency, but in order to qualify, you have to take this course, which requires you to have an internal exam by multiple different people. And then you have to perform that on other people. And I'm like, oh, hell no, is no, no one is coming near my broken vagina. And I, I was like, I want to do this so bad, but I can't even, I cannot face that, that kind of shame again, all over again. And so then I am in the, so we have the most exciting day of PT school is site selection day. That's where we choose where we're going to perform our student physical therapy rotations and it's a lottery system. So you basically pick a number for each round and the number you choose is the, the order you pick your site. Mm -hmm. And I picked the last every single time (laughs) and I'm like, okay, it's all meant to be. So at this time, Jason, I was in a much better mental space. I'd start, started doing some personal development work uh, because I was teaching group fitness classes and they, it, I mean, the company that I was doing that for, it's called Les Mills International. The training that I went through was just amazing. And so I'm super grateful for that. But I realized that I'm like, okay, this is meant to be, I'm just going to go with it. Long story short, ended up at a place that, uh, had a women's health therapist and also fell in love with my roommate. And I went to the PT and I'm like, look, I am really into this guy and I'm not going to let my broken vagina ruin yet another relationship. I've just been too far isolated from the world and I'm tired of avoiding 
contact with men because of it. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, she, she, I got my first pelvic floor exam that didn't involve a speculum that actually was worthwhile. I mean, okay, I should, I should take that back. Get your speculum exams, gynecologists rule out important things. So, but they don't check your pelvic floor function. They just check to see if there's masses. Mm-hmm. So anyways, um, that was the, the moment that changed everything. At that point I was given control back of my life. So is that when you and, connected the two or did this happen before? So the, you know, the, the videoing incident with your cousin, you know, and then the resulting behaviors and the resulting tightness that you experienced in your vagina. Like, did you, had you already equated those two things or no? Yes. By that time I already, I connected the dots because Tracy would talk about the, the factors that were, were either, they were correlated with certain issues. And I knew that that was, that was the incident. Cause I didn't have problems before that. Mm-hmm. Like I, yeah, the first time I had sex, maybe the second time it would, I, it didn't feel great. But then I was a, I was the one that always wanted to be doing the thing with my first, first one, you know? Right. So going from that and feeling, I mean, going from that to where I was, was just very alarming for me. Mm-hmm. And it was the biggest barrier. Jason was telling my story. Mm-hmm. That was the issue because I felt like, Oh, I wasn't raped. It was just videoed. And, and I knew he was videoing me. So he ended up giving me the SD card and, uh, I still feel guilty. Why do I feel guilty type of deal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like you when, said earlier. When people, when people come in and they tell you, they're like, no, I was raped since I was five. I was raped from age five to seven or I was raped and almost killed by my husband, husband. And you hear these stories and you, you, and I think about mine and still today, I'm like, you have it so good. And I just have to remember everyone has their own story and they can't compare it. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's, you know, I appreciate you saying that. And at the same time, you know, I think the point of all that is you can't discount your own either. You know, like, uh, you know, you were talking about feeling shame, feeling shame for being ashamed that your violation wasn't worse. (laughs) I mean, what kind of, how fucked up is that? Right. Like, I mean, in what world should you not be allowed to feel the way that you need to feel around the experience that you have to have? Right. right? I'm sure that when you were, go ahead. I'm sorry. So basically what I want people to get out of though, is I'm so grateful for what happened to me because if I didn't, if that didn't happen to me, I probably wouldn't be in PT. I would not even, I wouldn't be close to where I am now. Right. And I wouldn't have any idea what public health was or I wouldn't care. I wouldn't care that I was pissing myself because it didn't impact. I was still able to run. I was still able to perform at really high levels in my sport. I was able to excel, but I couldn't have sex or my sexual function was impacted. So that was the game changer for me. So I think the takeaway of this is regardless of your story, it happened for a reason. And if it didn't happen, you would not have, you may have no idea that there's something that 
could be done or you don't know how it's going to shape your life moving forward. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Were you able to, I mean, and this is the question that, that came to mind as you were telling your story around, you know, first of all, being violated with the video piece and then going into this, this place where you kind of lost it for a bit, you know, and to, you know, to use your words, you slept around and you weren't really sure of what was going on and all the rest of it. And then you experienced this sort of tightness where penetration was not really possible or feasible for you at the moment. I mean, at what point did you put the dots together and figure out why the physical was actually happening or has that piece come together for you yet? Because obviously that violation piece is going to be more psychological in your case, right? Yeah. And then, but it manifests, the result seems to have manifested itself physically. So that means that psychologically you were impacted in some way that would seem that 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 caused your body to, to sort of shrink away from sexual activity or from normal pelvic floor function? Um, so when I did see the, see the pelvic floor PT, that's when the, the dots definitely connected because I mean, there was definite, definite tightness because I was an athlete, held my breath all the time. Mm -hmm. Did not my go-to like uh, guarding strategy was my pelvic floor, which I didn't know at the time. Whenever I felt scared as a kid, it would be like, you better not pee yourself. Cause that was the sense that I would always get. And that's one of the signs, like at least as a clinician, I am, I'm looking for in kids is like, it's their go-to when they're scared. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's definitely a psychological component and a trauma that's held in the muscles because when I, uh, after I got control, after I knew that that area was still mine and that it wasn't unhealthy, it wasn't damaged, it wasn't broken, I was able to have intercourse, which was amazing. I mean, it wasn't amazing, like quality wise, but it was amazing <laughs> to know that. To know that. <laughs> Don't want to give that person too much credit. Yeah. <laughs> It wasn't because I I still had, I didn't, I wasn't completely cured. Right. 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 But it was still a lot better. Right. It wasn't that it wasn't really painful at that point. It Mm -hmm. was just very tight. And so after that, I mean, I was still crossfitting and I was still peeing myself, if not worse, because it's like your muscles were so tight for so long. They're so deconditioned. Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, while there was a a psychological component, physical components were underlying that and just built on that for the years that I was in that state. Right. And, and how long was that in terms of years? It was quite a few. You were college age, right? And then graduate school. Yeah. So I would say 2000 and, uh, 2000. When I graduated, 2011, and then I started PT school in 2014. It was two that four years, four yeah, four years. Wow, three so, and a half probably to be most accurate. Wow, that's amazing. And then, so when you met, uh, what did you say the doctor's name was that you had a lot of respect for? The the Katie. Katie. So when you met her and she, you agreed to do the study, right, and then have the pelvic exam. What was it about that experience that? you know, opened your eyes to, you know, your situation and gave you some, shed some light on what you're experiencing. 
So the whole thing is, I mean, it's the delivery number one and giving people control. So while I was a student and I knew she educated me throughout the process and disarmed the shame that I had put on the whole situation. So the biggest challenge for people, I think, like I mentioned before, to get help is telling telling your story and the words that you use about your story. So I would use the just most negative words about myself. And she's, she basically debunked all my false beliefs mm-hmm. and gave me control and said, okay, here are your problems or here are the things that we can improve. I should say you have this and this and this. So she was like, you're look at the color of the tissue. You're well estrogenized, which is good. You're, muscles are still like fluffy. It's not like they're so tight and weak that they're now atrophied Mm -hmm. and there isn't anything traumatically wrong at this time. They're just very tight. So here's what we need to do to put things. Here's what needs to be put in place to take the next steps forward. So painting that picture and giving me control over my body was and and that's what I try to give people that see me because people that see me with pelvic health problems they've they don't they feel like they no longer have control of their body whether if it's like postpartum if it's sexual related and that's a scary feeling that's, yeah. and scary might not be the right word it's it's a it's a it's a psychological feeling yeah I mean I, I think it's it's huge I, I had a my, my paternal grandfather, uh, got pissed off at my grandmother one day and decided he was going to go for a, a motorcycle ride and he ended up hitting a patch of gravel and, uh, wrecking and broke his back. So he was an able-bodied man in his fifties who went from able-bodied to basically paraplegic, right. Or almost quadriplegic. He had some use of his hands, but not much. And, you know, I can, I, I knew and I could feel the frustration in him when I was around him, you know, because he had lost control of his faculties. Like he had no, he had to have someone take him to the bathroom, right? He had to have someone bathe him, someone prepare his food, feed him, all these kinds of things, right? And obviously this is an extreme example of, you know, what you're talking about. But if you can paint what you're talking about into a few different examples so that people can extrapolate out and see you know, what that, what that looks like. I mean, it's hard to imagine like what it looks like, you know, to not be in control of your vagina if you're a dude, right? <laughs> it's like, right. But right. I can, I can totally imagine what it's like to lose control of my arms and legs if I have a motorcycle accident. Right. And that can be, that can only be like the most helpless feeling. And I remember him just being angry. And then I remember, you know, looking at the stats of like people who find themselves in that position, they basically only end up living like another seven years at the time. It's probably longer now, but basically they just give up. They, you know, it's like they can't handle the transition from, you know, being able-bodied to not. And so psychologically it just completely wrecks them and, and over time tears them down. Right. It's a great example. Yeah. So true. And I mean, if you want to know what, psychologically losing control of your vagina feels like, um, if you've ever had premature ejaculation and didn't know why 
and it was a cycle. It's kind of like what it is. Yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of <laughs> I can imagine like, uh, you know, uh, it's funny, right? It's the uh, When it comes to sex, right? If you have a dude that's experiencing premature ejaculation, like the last thing he wants to do is talk about it, right? Right. And the only yeah. way he can the only way he can find out if he's if he has it is to disappoint some poor girl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's kind of funny, but and, you know, funny and sad at the same time. Right. Because, you know, obviously you feel for someone in that position. Um, but, uh, you know, how do you I don't know if you can equate like embarrassing yourself in front of your lover in the same way, because honestly, like I'm trying to put myself in that position. Like if, if I'm a female, I can kind of show up and as long as everything functions, I'm okay. Right. But if I'm a dude and I can't, you know, get an erection or if I can't keep an erection, then there's really no place for me to hide at that point. You know, it's just like apology. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You know, where do I go from here? Yeah. It's so, I will save the male talk for another day, but lots of CrossFitters have issues with their pelvic floor and they don't know it. Yeah. Male cross, male CrossFitters. A lot of male CrossFitters. Why do you say that? Because yeah. we're the. It's such a intensive workout regimen, and it's not an easy area to regularly relax. And we all. As CrossFitters, we think that we need to be braced in perfect posture all the time. Mm-hmm. And bracing is a whole nother conversation. Uh, not knowing the proper way to brace, the intensity of bracing, and the importance of regulating the strategy. Uh, I can really geek out on this, but I would say it's the lack of understanding of how to use, how to brace, and how to relax, and I when see. to do both. Gotcha. So you're, when you're working with people, uh, on that front, the athletic front specifically, I'm assuming that you have a particular protocol that you're taking people through to, to, to teach them what it feels like to make yeah. sure that they're braced properly. Yep. If that's it's super the, fun, it's one of my favorite things to do. Is it really, is that one of the, is that going to be one of the programs or seminars that you plan to do in the near future? Um, yeah. So that's part of, depending on what I haven't, I haven't come up with an acronym for my male methods, but it's usually part of the badass bitches part. It's actually, it stands for BAB, uh, brace, align and breathe. Mm -hmm. And so teaching people how to brace properly, that's where that component comes in. I see. I see. So you're seeing, are you, are you working primarily with CrossFitters right now or is it just anyone and everyone? Um, anyone right now, but my niche is definitely the athletic population. Right. And you're seeing more women than men at this point? Yes. So where do you want to, what's your, you know, what's your, your big vision, your big hairy audacious goal for the vagina doc and, you know, supporting brands and and uh, seminars that you plan to put together? Uh, so w- w- would you like me to speak on like my business goals? Well, whatever or, you want to share. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about your brand. Like you, you've done a good job of putting yourself out there as the vagina doc, you know, so I'm, obviously you're going after the female population, um, being a pelvic floor PT, uh, specializing. <clears throat> it seems 
on the women's side of things. So I'm just curious, like where you want to take that, like what's your vision for that brand and for your uh, practice? So what I ultimately would like to do is create, and I want to expand in terms of who, both from a fitness professional standpoint, like I can't be teaching everyone these things from a primary, like a fit, just people that don't have problems. And a lot of fitness pros are the first people that are interacting with people. So to get to mentor fitness professionals and then new providers that are treating athletes, Mm -hmm. that is where I want to go. So I want to continue treating, but I do want to start spreading the love across. So it's not just me, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's going to be the only way really to expand the message, it would seem to kind of build a little army of people, you know, out there working in the same, you know, in the same vein and the same uh, industry and same work, right? Yes. Yeah. Very cool. So when is your next, uh, or, or what's, what is your current program that you're offering online or where, when is your next seminar going to be? So I have a couple upcoming workshops. The first one is at Chuck Walla CrossFit, and that will be, let me get the date for you. That is October 18th, and that is going to be on leakage, on controlling bladder leakage during double unders. And I'm going to be teaching my method, which I call the boss method for, uh, staying dry with jumping. And then October 27th, I will be doing a workshop at Camelback CrossFit. And then I'm hoping to launch my first live postpartum uh, back to fitness program at Camelback CrossFit in November, December, and then help launch a evening postpartum back to fitness at Chuckwalla within the next month or so. And then I will be treating in Chandler on Mondays and Wednesdays, and then I'm mobile. So if people want to be treated in person, that's where that they can find me. And then I'll be developing online courses that should be launched within the next month or so. Very cool. Very cool. Sounds like you got a lot on the plate coming up. Yeah, it's a lot. That's good. That's good stuff. It's good to be busy. So before I ask my last question, tell the folks at home where they can get in touch with you. Obviously, I gave away the brand, the Vagina Doc, but you can be probably a little more specific than me. <laughs> so I can be found at on Instagram at the Vagina Doc, and it's the period Vagina Doc. And then I have a private Facebook group that I do live trainings on Mondays. And that's the pelvic floor support group for female athletes and active women. And then my website has all the links and that's the vaginapt.com. Beautiful. Beautiful. So guys, definitely check that out if you are experiencing any of the things that uh, Jocelyn has mentioned. And maybe uh, if you're not, you might just want to get a checkup and uh, let her uh, guide you. She's absolutely fantastic at what she does, at what she does, and and she has a a laundry list of people who can vouch for that. So definitely check her out. So my last question is always the same, and that is, what does wellness mean to you? <laughs> so right now, wellness would be to keep the 
keep consistency with the things that, at least for me, that I value, and that's fitness, uh, food, and fun while building a business. And I am doing well with the fitness. I could be doing better on the food and the fun, but... (laughs) I hear you. I hear you. It's tough to find the balance, especially when you, when you branch out and you're doing something new. I know that you, I don't know if it was on mic or off mic, but you talked about being slightly uncomfortable or maybe a lot uncomfortable (laughs) in your new uh, venture. But the reality is if, if you stay with it, you'll get where you want to go. You are very sharp, you know, uh, very accommodating, very, you know, very easy to talk to. And I know that uh, anyone in your presence will be benefited greatly by having met you and brought you into their lives. So with that said, I wish you all the best. And uh, I'm obviously we'll stay in touch uh, outside of this. But on behalf of myself and Jocelyn Connie guys, we want to just thank you for listening. And uh, we'll catch up with you guys in the next episode. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me.